the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you for Deborah Flora today. And in fact, doing a doubleheader because I will also be sitting in for Stefan Tubbs from 4 to 7 this afternoon. So be sure to stick around from now until 7 for yours truly. Jimmy Sangenberger, host of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Great to be with you today. We've got lots to talk about. There's lots in the news, and I'm liking that the weather seems to have been wrong. I was seeing National Weather Service warnings on Saturday morning about massive snowfall from Sunday to Tuesday, and it's pretty darn nice outside. I got to say, with all the snow and ice that's been melting, and uh, that's kind of a a little bit of a relief to see with everything that has been so stuck to the roads for so long. And I believe this coming Saturday will be when snow kicks in again. But you never really know. You never really know. It is Colorado after all. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number if you'd like to join in to the festivities. You can also text into the show on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. And there are a couple of ways to connect with me on social media. I'm on Twitter, at saying center. That's saying with an E, not an A, center on Twitter. And also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jimmy Sangenberger Pro or search Jimmy Sangenberger Media Personality on Facebook. And you can also email me via my show's page at 710knus.com. Just go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. And there's also... My website, jimmysangenberger.com. You can go to the contact page there. Keep in mind, there's no A-I or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is E-Z. And again, our telephone number, 303-696-1971. In this hour, I'll be joined in a bit by one of my favorite guests who I've interviewed for I don't know how many years. His name is John Tamney. He's the editor of Real Clear Markets and the vice president at FreedomWorks. He's also the author of a number of books, including most recently, The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. So some interesting topics to be covered there. Tamney always offers a very interesting, super small government perspective on economics. We're going to talk with him about a few pressing issues coming up. One is this phony scare over the debt ceiling, the idea that if they don't lift the ceiling and boost the debt limit, then all hell's going to break loose. Chaos will erupt. And America probably will crumble. 
as a result. Not so much and not so fast, Dick Durbin. And if we play games with this, if we delay this, if we have short-term extensions of the national debt, we run the very risk of a recession in this economy. Millions of Americans out of work and interest rates going even higher, denying people an opportunity to buy a home or a car in this economy will be stalled. We Whoa. shouldn't play games with the national debt. Dude, I'm quaking right now. I just I cannot believe that we could have the dystopian future that Dick Durbin, the number two Democrat in the U.S. Senate, just presented there. Not so fast. We'll talk with John Tamney about why we shouldn't worry about the debt ceiling debacle. And then also, there's this claim, we hear it a lot, especially among Keynesian economists on the left, A slowing economy is a good thing right now because it's going to reduce demand and thereby lower inflation and the rise in prices. And the Federal Reserve can help with this. It's a convoluted idea, and it's one that really doesn't pair, really doesn't make sense. We'll talk a little bit about that. And there's one other thing the Republicans in the U.S. House have put forward a vote on a fair tax sales tax proposal and to scrap the IRS. How about that? We got lots to talk about with John Tamney coming up here on the Deborah Flores show. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah. He'll be joining us here in just a little bit. Newstalk 710 KNUS. I, I do want to make you aware and we'll talk about this more on Stefan's show when I'm sticking around to fill in for him as well. But there is very sad news right now. Very, very sad news for M&M's spokes candies. Because they've become so controversial. God forbid these spokes candies for M&M have become so controversial. Really because of unforced errors. On the part of M&M, rather Mars Inc., the parent company of M&M's, they've gotten rid of them, at least for the time being. They have put the spokes candies aside. And they're replacing them with a new spokeswoman. Actor Maya Rudolph is going to be the new spokesperson. Because she is someone that America can agree on, according to Mars and M&M's. Here's what they put out in a big statement. America, let's talk. In the last year, we've made some changes to our beloved spokes candies. We weren't sure if anyone would ever notice. And we definitely didn't think it would break the Internet. But now we get it. Even a candy's shoes can be polarizing, which was the last thing M&M's wanted since we're all about bringing people together. Therefore, we have decided to take an indefinite pause from the spokes candies. In their place, we are proud to introduce a spokesperson America can agree on, the beloved Maya Rudolph. We are confident Ms. Rudolph will champion the power of fun 
to create a world where everyone feels they belong. This is, I would love to have an interview with the official spokesperson of the department of you have got to be kidding me because this is absurd. If you can't take the heat, stay out of the chocolatey kitchen. That is to say, don't go playing cultural games with your candy. There was no reason for them to play the games that M&M's was doing in the first place. And then it gets too hot because Tucker Carlson blasts them and makes fun of them and others on the right. And then there's a back and forth and it becomes a whole thing. And it becomes a whole thing unnecessarily in an unforced error. And then they can't handle the heat. So they say, forget the spokes candies. We're going to put them on ice in the freezer for the time being. And Maya Rudolph is going to step in. What? You just can't make this stuff up. How ludicrous is this? My goodness. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. You could also text into the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Let's kick things off this afternoon with Gary in Denver. Gary, you're on with Jimmy in for Deborah. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Jimmy. I thought maybe the first thing you'd announce is that we lost Marshall Tucker. Wait, wait, did that happen? Yes, Marshall Tucker. I did not see that news yes oh yesterday oh my goodness well i i have been so focused on prepping politics and stuff for two radio shows i did not realize that my goodness i'm gonna have to make a uh bumper adjustment request with uh lou in the next hour uh, gary i appreciate it my goodness that is sad um yeah marshall tucker got- one of the most legendary southern rockers of all time and uh, i mean it's a heartbreaker. And a, and a blind musician. Yes. Which, he was outstanding. He, 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 he really was. Life. I remember I grew up, you know, driving in the car. My parents, um, my dad especially, playing Marshall Tucker. And, yeah. oh, my goodness. That's, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Right up, there, right up there with Leonard Skinner. Yes, without a doubt, as far as... Um, I'm a little uh, stunned right now, Gary, because I did not see that news. But as far as Southern rockers go in that era of musicians in the 70s, without a doubt, um, that's that's a tragic uh, loss. So thank you for mentioning that. I had not seen the news. Yeah, and then uh, on, a, on a less important topic, the debt ceiling, um, you know, what I understand the debt ceiling, uh, you know, obviously a uh, uh, spending in excess of receipts causes, you know, a debt ceiling problem. But what's driving it is the interest on the debt, which just accelerates. But when you think about it, and maybe you could ask your de- your guest about this. I once read a book that explained, you know, the interest on the debt, who's receiving that interest? Well, you know, to a certain extent, foreigners are receiving it, but mostly maybe 70 percent is going into the pockets of interest payments of American citizens. Yes. And, you know, the multiplier effect, we they spend those dollars and it stimulates the economy. Well, wow. so I, I would it, dispute it, the multiplier effect, but we won't get into that today. Continue, Gary. 
And so if you look at it from that perspective, it is a problem. It needs to be remedied by a more balanced budget, but, uh, but we'll survive. And, and one last question, Jimmy. I was, I was uh, listen, watching the Channel 12 uh, Red Rocks concert last night with, uh, what's his name, Magamasa? Joe Bonamassa. Joe Bonamassa. <laughs> Joe Bonamassa, yes. He always does these uh, uh, these specials on PBS, and he comes to Red Rocks now and does two shows every summer. Tells it out. And when I was, when I was watching him, I thought, I wonder if Jimmy ever tried to take up the guitar. You know, it's that's a fun question to answer, Gary. So, of course, for listeners who don't know, I play the harmonica. But I actually started playing guitar. I was in fifth grade with guitar, taking guitar lessons. Actually, I took guitar lessons through high school, but my problem was that I didn't have this natural knack for it, and so I didn't practice nearly enough. And eventually, as I started becoming more serious about the harmonica, I just gave up guitar altogether, and now, quite frankly, I can't play at all. But when I was in eighth grade, I asked my guitar teacher if I could, uh, he could teach me a few things on harmonica, which he could play, and he did, and then I was self-taught from there just playing around, and I found that the harmonica was an instrument that really spoke to me in a way that guitar never did. And it's funny, in 2001, I was 11, and I met Buddy Guy at Fiddler's Green, the great blues legend. And he said, and I told him I just started taking guitar lessons, and he said, maybe you'll be up on stage one of these days. And it's all, well, always stuck with me as a kid, but I'm not on stage playing guitar, but I am on stage now with my Jimmy Jr. Blues Band playing harmonica. Well, and you know the really great guitar players talk to their guitar when they're playing it, and that would be difficult to do with your instrument. Yes, exa- exactly. Exactly. Hey, Gary, I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, 303-696-1971. Uh, that's heartbreaking. I had no idea that Marshall Tucker passed away yesterday at the age of 99 course the namesake of the marshall tucker band i gotta get with the producers and see what we can do for some switcheroos on bumpers because that's i'm just struck by that but when we come back on the other side here on the deborah flora show jimmy sangenberger in for deborah we'll be joined by john tamney of real clear markets and freedom works keep it right here news talk 710 knus jimmy sangenberger here for deborah flora today is Marshall Tucker the namesake for the Marshall Tucker band still searching for a rainbow? Well, at the age of 99, he has passed on. Is the man an old blind piano player for whom the Southern Rock pioneers known as the Marshall Tucker band named their band? And my thanks to Gary for letting me know that He passed away yesterday, and I checked it out. At the age of 99, the band putting out a statement, We are saddened to hear of the passing of someone very special to our hearts for very obvious reasons. Our band's namesake, Mr. Marshall Tucker, passed away peacefully yesterday morning at the age of 99. Though he was never a member of our band, we wouldn't be here today without his historic name. And most definitely, they are one of those great legendary bands of all time, and their name would not have come 
if not for Marshall Tucker, who passed away at the age of 99. And my thanks to Jim, producer extraordinaire behind the glass, for plugging this in extra quickly. May Marshall Tucker rest in peace and the music of the band continue to live on. Good to be with you. News Talk 710-KNUS. We'll hear another Marshall Tucker tune in Stefan Tubbs show when I fill in on this Music Monday for Stefan as well. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number, but I want to bring on our guest this hour. He is the editor of Real Clear Markets and vice president at FreedomWorks, a contributor to Forbes and the author of a number of books, including The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. Pleased to be joined by my friend, one of my longtime favorite guests, John Tamney. Good afternoon, John. Happy New Year. It's good to talk with you, my friend. Hey, Jimmy. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, and thanks for taking some time today. I appreciate it. I mean, there's so many things that are that are going on right now in this crazy economic world. And I wanted to dive in a little bit with you. And, and one of them, I just want to play to to set this up, a clip from Dick Durbin, the number two Democrat in the United States Senate, who is sounding the alarm about the impending doom that can come, will come, he suggests, if the debt ceiling, debt limit is not raised. And if we play games with this, if we delay this, if we have short-term extensions of the national debt, we run the very risk of a recession in this economy. Millions of Americans out of work and interest rates going even higher, denying people an opportunity to buy a home or a car in this economy will be stalled. We shouldn't play games with the national debt. People will suffer, John Tam. Is that reality? No. It's utter nonsense. There's this view out there that the U.S. has never defaulted. Well, in fact, we defaulted in 1933. FDR very explicitly shrank the dollar 59% from 120th of an ounce of gold to 135th. That was a default. Have we had weak dollar periods since then? We most definitely have. That is a default on debt. This is not me extolling the virtues of default, but to pretend that if suddenly we don't pay our debts, which we're not going to do, that the world will end. It's just not serious. We've been defaulting for decades. You know, it really is something else. When this flares up, this is not the first time in the last 20, 30 years that a big debt ceiling fight has come up. And then in the end, they reach some sort of agreement. We raise the debt limit and people just move on. Maybe you had a brief period in time, this we saw in the 90s, for example, where federal employees don't get paid in the short term and then eventually they're given their back pay. This is much more politics and political blood luster, it seems, than anything else from a political side as well as the economic side, John. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's a political device. That's all it is. It's a way for Republicans to pretend for a brief time that they actually care about spending and want to shrink government. And it's a device for Democrats to say, we, all we care about is expanding the government as much as possible, when in reality, we know that no matter the political party in control, Government grows and grows and grows, and that's how you know that this is going to be solved. It always is solved because both parties have a vested interest 
in government growth. Again, John Tamney, our guest. You have a piece out in The Hill today entitled Republican Dysfunction is the Path Toward a Better GOP. And you co-author this piece with David McIntosh of the Club for Growth, the president there. It's a very interesting piece that I think ties in with this debt ceiling discussion, particularly because one of the concerns that Democrats are sharing is, oh, my gosh, look at the dysfunction of the Republican Party. We are going to see economic collapse that will result from this. And the burden is upon Mitch McConnell to figure out which Republicans will flip and save the day over in the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, all this dysfunction, well, I think that's what the founders wanted. They wanted friction inside parties. They don't want harmony because look at what relative harmony has gotten us. It's gotten us a Congress that spent $6 trillion last year. Uh, what you want, I think, is a lot of disharmony in Washington that limits the ability of government to do things to spend. I do believe there are Republicans who legitimately want more limited government. Maybe this is the path. The disharmony is what empowered uh, a small number of Republicans to essentially cut the speaker off a little bit at the knees Will this lead to smaller government over time? I'd sure like to try. That that should be the goal. Governments of tax. Let's reduce the tax burden. John, you have one passage in this piece that says, lest readers forget, Congress doesn't tax away our wealth and earnings so that it can stare lovingly at all the dollars we produce. Rather, Congress's arrogation to itself of sizable amounts of our productive fruits is yet again a signal of growing governmental control over the resources required by the productive in pursuit of economic advancement. What does that mean and how might that tie in with this discussion that we're seeing on the debt ceiling and government spending? Well, what it means is that government spending is the ultimate tax. I'm not talking about deficits. I don't focus on deficits. Government spending is the tax. There are no companies and there are no jobs without investment first. There are no advances without investment first. Right. And so when government consumes $6 trillion plus a year, that's $6 trillion that Bossiat followers like you and me understand it is six trillion that's not going toward a future Jeff Bezos. It's not going toward a future Fred Smith of FedEx or a future Steve Jobs. And so we have to consider the unseen. What are we not achieving? What what advances are we not achieving these governments consuming so much wealth? And that's what I don't think people talk about enough. But wait, we hear constantly from Keynesian economists and politicians about the multiplier effect. The government takes money from the private sector in the form of taxes or borrowing, and then it spends that money. And then you get a multiplier as a result, and everybody benefits, especially during a recession. The government taxes or borrows, and then it spends, and then that's how we can keep the economy afloat and get us out of that recession. Right, John Tamney? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, and if that were true, they would legalize theft during recessions. Just get people to take money from people who aren't spending it and go out and spend it. (laughs) But in reality, as you and I know, all demand begins with supply. It begins with production first. 
And so when you extract precious resources from the economy where they're created, you get less production. You have, government spending, by definition, is a barrier to economic growth. There are so many indictments of the economics profession, but one of the biggest one is the utterly absurd notion that all this government waste actually boosts economic growth. John Tamney, our guest, editor of Real Clear Markets. Yeah, that's that's just been such a fundamental flaw. And we see a lot of these days a lot of economic ignorance or fallacies that seem to just be tossed around. For example, right now we're hearing more talk that the economy is starting to slow down. And it's actually a good thing because it reduces consumer demand, which will therefore bring down inflation, which is the euphemism used commonly to say rising prices, the rising cost of everything. And the Federal Reserve is capable of and indeed taking steps to slow the economy and reduce inflation, accomplishing that objective. Where is the logic in a slower economy as though that's something government can 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 do intentionally is a good thing for those reasons? It's staggering that so many economists can believe something that's so ridiculous. This notion that you can help the economy by putting people out of work and by bankrupting businesses. Have you ever heard of something more ridiculous? Uh, the simple truth is that investment is what drives economic growth, not consumption. We also want to consume. What drives growth is when we don't consume and, and our savings exist as capital for businesses to grow. And so what is investment? Investment is the process whereby entrepreneurs and businesses reduce the cost of everything. They reduce, they, they, they create exponentially more flat screen TVs, cars, mobile phones, houses, you name it, for much, much less. It's called productivity advances. Yet economists actually believe that the path to lower inflation is to slow economic growth. No, the surest sign that you're experiencing slower economic growth is that prices hold in place or rise. The surest sign of economic growth is when prices are falling because you know that you're getting more out of each, more production out of your investment. You know, it kind of reminds me of the absence of logic that, say, war is good for the economy. Like you look at World War II and the argument that World War II somehow staved off the Great Depression. It was the war that saved it, as though destruction and loss of life is economically productive somehow, John Tamney. You and I have discussed this before, and we're both mortified by this sick, sick belief that killing people, maiming people, destroying wealth is the path to economic growth. But you ask most economists, and they will tell you that World War II ended the Great Depression. No, 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 no. War is by its very name an economic downturn because it removes people from production and puts them in the business of killing other people and killing customers. Uh, what got the U.S. out of the Great Depression was the end of the New Deal because it failed so miserable, miserably by the 19, late 1930s that they had no choice but to end it. And with its end, the U.S. had the economy and the means to fight World War II. Those who say war ends, expands an economy get it completely backwards. Exposing some economic 
fallacies with John Tamney here on the Deborah Flores Show. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah. Just a few more minutes with you, John. And I want to ask one more question on this and then shift gears. Another instance where we hear this kind of talk as though destruction can be good. Let's say you have a hurricane that comes through or a tornado or a massive flood. A lot of times you will hear people say, well, that destruction happened and it's so horrible. But now that we have the opportunity to rebuild, it will stimulate those areas. I remember hearing about this like 10 years ago. We had massive flooding in the Denver metro area and in Boulder and so forth. And it was it was stunning to hear that kind of talk that that dis- environmental disasters could lead to economic growth because the next step of rebuilding is going to be helpful somehow. Yeah, it's it's Groundhog Day with natural disasters because every time one occurs, you read in the major newspapers about how this could be good for growth because so much was destroyed. Such a view presumes that with with the economy allegedly tipping into a recession, depending on how you want to define that, the answer would be to uh, level Aurora, Colorado, and Pueblo, and I don't know, let's add Telluride into the mix, uh, and, and level them so that you can pay people to rebuild them. Have you ever heard something more ridiculous that you can grow an economy by destroying it first? No. But that, again, this is what economists believe, and this is what people should remember when they hear from economists' ideas about how to how to better ourselves or, or, or better the world that's around us. Invariably, their ideas would, would worsen. John Tamney, our guest, one more thing. The Republicans in Congress and the U.S. House have put forward a fair tax proposal, as it's called, to replace the income tax wholesale with a national sales tax and in doing so eliminate the IRS and replace it with a couple of new bureaus who would oversee the implementation of this tax. And so what they're proposing, Republican representative of Georgia, Buddy Carter, is to put a 23% tax on gross payments. And as the Wall Street Journal summarized in a critical editorial on this, that rate includes the sticker price for any purchase plus the tax paid, which means the true rate would be about 30%. The fair tax rate would be on top of state sales taxes. And the journal goes on in their editorial to criticize this as something that would be ruinous politically for Republicans, especially because... It's entirely plausible that you could get a sales tax in place without actually getting rid of the income tax, and it gives the Democrats a talking point. What do you make of this discussion, and do you think it's a a good idea in the abstract for a fair tax instead of the income tax? And, And do you think that it's a good political move? Well, it's never going to happen because... Uh, an incomprehensible tax code is the best friend of politicians. They want to have cushy retirements, too, and uh, the tax code is their retirement. It's what allows them to retire into lobbying and other things, whereby they get paid to move the tax code around. So it's never, ever going to happen. Uh, would I like it? Oh, sure. Yeah, why, why would we penalize work? If you're going to have a tax... It should ideally be on consumption. That's the only way that we individuals can limit what we hand over to the federal government, plus it's from having to cower before the IRS every year. So I like it. What horrifies me about this proposal and what makes me say it's bad politics is 30 percent. Have they lost their minds? I thought Republicans were for limited government. 30 percent of what Americans consume speaks to massive government as far as the eye can see. Um, 
if they were actually doing it to try to limit uh, the inflow of revenues into, into Washington, I can see where it'd be intriguing, but it's hard to see where 30% would achieve that. Yeah, it is mind-boggling to consider it, and also given the impracticality of it, it's like what do they want to achieve in the House at this point in time with that kind of a symbolic gesture? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, it seems like it'd be a little bit more practical for a flat tax because you at least keep the income tax system in place that is part of the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which to get rid of it outright, you would have to repeal the 16th Amendment. But even that is impractical. So I don't know where you go with any sort of real substantive tax change discussions that would significantly reduce the burden on the private sector as you and I would wish. Yeah, uh, and, and it's just it's not going to happen for, for the the flat tax wouldn't happen. Now, I have my problems with it, too, because I think it taxes the rich too much. But it's not going to happen because Congress wants complication. Complication is what is what pays for a very rich post-political life. And so you take get rid of that. You, uh, the ability for politicians to make money, and they're in it for the money, is greatly reduced. I mean, think about it right now. Marco Rubio, remember when he was running for president, he said, he said, I no longer have six figures of student debt. Oh, really? I wonder why. Well, you don't, because when you're in politics and high up, money finds you. Right. And it finds you through family members. It finds you. Look at Joe Biden's family. We can get yes. mad at Joe Biden, and there's a lot to get mad at. But find me any Republican who isn't the exact same. Brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, they all have high-level jobs because money finds those who are close to those who are in power. You know, that wouldn't be true with a flat tax. That is a truism indeed. John Tamney, we got to leave it there, editor of Real Clear Markets, VP at Freedom Works. Check out his most recent book of several, The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. We'll have you on my show again soon to talk about the book. Really appreciate you joining us, my friend. Take care. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Once again, John Tamney joining us. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora. We're going to take a break. On the other side, any thoughts on that conversation? I mean, look, there are so many things economically that people believe that are espoused by politicians, that are espoused by the elites in Washington, the economists, the advisors, the list goes on. And they are indeed economic fallacies. They're wrong, and yet we're supposed to buy into them. It's like the fallacy that the left has of trickle-down economics. I won't get into it, but there's no Republican, no conservative, no conservative economist who has ever embraced the idea of trickle-down economics because that's not what it actually is about, as the great economist Thomas Sowell has often pointed out. But we'll leave it there. We'll be back on the other side. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. You can text into the show as well. Keep it right here. News Talk 710 KNUS. This is a tune called Fed Up. There's so much to be fed up about. John Lee Hooker Jr. is the guy's name. And I thought he got to the chorus of Fed Up sooner than this, but... Oh, well, there is a lot to be fed up with these days, including the misnomers about how the world really works, how politics works. There you go. Fed up. And now we're hearing it. 
And I appreciate John Tamney for breaking down some fallacies of economics today. A News Talk 710 KNUS. Jimmy Sangenberger in for Deborah Flora and also for Stephen Tubbs. Coming up from 4 to 7 right here again on News Talk 710 KNUS. Doing double duty with a double header today uh, in the next Three hours I'll be talking with Mike Davis, who was heavily involved. In fact, he was the point man for the Judiciary Committee during Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing. So he was the Republican um, staff leader for the Judiciary Committee under Chuck Grassley during that. He now runs a group called Article 3 Project and is talking a lot about what's happening with the insanity that is going on here with the Biden classified documents. We'll dive in a lot into that coming up on Stefan Tubbs show. I mean, it is the, it's something else to hear the media lay things out the way that they have. When it comes to this Biden thing in recent days. I mean, just take a a little listen to this snippet from MSNBC today. And you heard Congressman Schiff just before this interview. He walks into his gift, checks for his devices. He walks out, makes sure he doesn't have anything. A lot of people are asking, how could this happen? And that's the answer that that we're stuck on. There's no answer being provided. Well. Again, I'm going, to, I'm going to stress this again, and I understand that there's a desire for public disclosure of information, that there's a desire for facts to come out, but it's important that the full set of facts be gathered by the Justice Department and then presented publicly so that people can understand all of these details. Okay, so that is not, of course, Corinne Jean-Pierre. In fact, I don't have anything on my button bar from KJP today because they've been sending out this advisor and spokesperson, Ian Sams, instead to be answering questions from the media and so forth. But you can hear even MSNBC saying, oh, my gosh, what in the world are you doing here? What's really happening? Why aren't we getting transparency? How in the world is this happening and is this allowed to happen? And then you got claims made by the likes of this Ian Sams that, oh, this is nothing sincere from the Republicans. This is really all about false Conspiracies. Well, we'll see what they're going to do. I mean, I think that the, the, they can say a lot, put out a lot of press releases, do a lot of media interviews. But we'll take a look at the letters that they send. We'll take a look at their actual investigative actions and we'll respond to the Congress as appropriate. I think that it's just very clear that a lot of these things are rooted in false conspiracy theories. Uh, did the Biden laptop, Hunter Biden laptop, turn out to be a false conspiracy theory? What about what we have learned from now, even CNN, about James Biden, what we know about Biden's documents that weren't revealed to the public? They were uncovered, and then now we're learning. And what about the social media aspect of the Hunter Biden story, where... 
the FBI, DHS, other agencies were at least giving it, the very least giving a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to Twitter and Facebook. Get the Hunter Biden story off your platforms. It's going to be coming out. Watch for it. And that was a conspiracy theory, the whole Hunter Biden story? No, not at all. This is legitimate. These aspects of the Biden questions have always been legitimate and are proving even more so. And it is striking to see the media raise questions and actually say, wait a second here. What's going on? ABC News. Our most recent uh, ABC News Ipsos poll says 64 percent of those in the latest poll, and that was before this latest discovery, believed he acted inappropriately. Wow. The polling date is coming in. They're asking members of Congress and U.S. senators about this. The Biden spokespeople are being pressed. It does seem like on this issue, at least in some respect, the walls are closing in a little bit. Now, what the ultimate outcome will be, who knows? But it ain't looking good for Biden, particularly in the short run, when it comes to the politics of this and when it comes to the politics of criticizing Donald Trump. We'll be watching this very closely and also talking about it when I fill in for Stefan Tubbs coming up in the next three hours. I'll also be in for George Brockler tomorrow morning from 6 to 10 and back in the saddle for Stefan on Wednesday from 4 to 7, all right here on 710 KNUS. Stick around, keep it here, and may God bless America. Never give up. Never surrender. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.